Welcome. If you don't know me, I'm Pastor Norm. I'm uh, the lead pastor here at The Hope. And, uh, you know, sometimes we take it for granted that you all know who we are. And I know we have a few visitors that have been coming in and out during the summer. Maybe you're new to the church, you're trying us out. And we hope you have a, a, an enjoyable experience. You know, our goal isn't to uh, necessarily be this awesome church, although we'd like that. Our goal is to represent Jesus and to give Him room to move, to give the Holy Spirit room to move. And I hope we're accomplishing that. I know I need it more and more. And if, if you don't know this, I'm, I'm a chaplain for the Michigan State Police, and I was called out yesterday to notify someone of a death. One of the hardest things that you have to do as a chaplain. And I, I don't want to mention any names or even gender, but when I went to this person, I discovered there was no hope. They had no faith, no background, no hope. There are people out there that need to hear what Jesus has done in your life so that they're not out there like this person. We need to reach the lost, the unchurched, those who haven't heard. Amen? So today's message, <laughs> and, and it's kind of different. And I don't know why. Cameron, every time you come, it's a little different. This wasn't, in, I didn't know he was coming, so this isn't intentional. But when I started this study, I thought it was going to go one way because I really felt like in my heart this was going to be about uh, John, the love, the, the disciple that Jesus loved. How many remember that part, right? And we'll get to that in a minute. But it turned in a whole other direction, and it, the Holy Spirit said, this is what I want you to do. And I ended up taking a whole bunch out that I had uh, studied this week in order to accomplish what I feel like he wanted me to put in. And how many know it's a lot better to follow him than it is? What I say is fluff. When he speaks, it means something. So in today's message, I want to look at a couple of sets of brothers. The first set begins with John, the son of Zebedee. He is the disciple, affectionately known as the disciple that Jesus loved, and who would eventually become one of the greatest apostles in the New Testament church. The Gospel of John, three letters of John, and of course Revelation were all written either by him or by one of his disciples. It's interesting to note that whenever John is mentioned, he never uses his surname. He, he's never called by the name John in the book that represents his name. He's always known as the disciple that Jesus loved. John also had an older brother. How many remember who he was? James. Mary's on it. He and James were one of the three in Jesus' inner circle. Who was the other? Peter. So Peter, James, and John were usually with Jesus when he did his most amazing miracles. When he went up on the hill in the transfiguration, God just poured himself down on him. Those three were there witnessing this. They claimed they saw Moses and perhaps Elijah. 
we first catch a glimpse of John and James where they are called by Jesus to come and follow him. John was most likely in his 20s. He and James were fishing with Peter. I I think that's why I like this guy. (laughs) Cameron was in a tournament yesterday. And by the way, he only came in the middle somewhere, so he he may outfish his dad, but he's got got a ways to go to improve in order. But he did take first place, what, two, two weeks ago when he took his younger brother Troy with him. So I'm not sure if there's any correlation there, but I already told him maybe next year he needs to take Troy with him as his partner or his dad, but that probably wouldn't work. As they were cleaning their nets after experiencing a really rough night, Cameron, do you ever have nights where you don't catch any fish? Like yesterday, right? <laughs> During the tournament. No, I'm, you caught a few, right? You just didn't catch enough to win. He's actually a very good, he outfishes all of us most of the time. So John and Peter and James had a rough night. They spent the night out fishing with their nets and Let's face it, when you don't catch any fish, it's kind of gloomy around my house. I'm assuming that was the, the experience here. They were sad. That's their livelihood. They didn't have any fish to take in to eat. They didn't have any fish to take in to sell. So certainly they would have been a little bit depressed. And then this Jesus guy comes walking by. Everything's about to change. How many know when you're in your gloomiest state, when Jesus comes walking by, things begin to change? How many have had that happen? (laughs) Come on, get up out of the, the molly grubs. You know, I'm here. So as they were cleaning their nets, Jesus comes along and he begins speaking to the crowd. And I don't know how this happens. They're on the lake shore and the next thing maybe people were at the beach i don't know what they did back then necessarily but all of a sudden this crowd forms to hear the messiah speak the crowds pressed in so much on jesus that he finally said hey peter would you put your boat out here just a little ways offshore so that i can speak without being pressed in so peter did that they went out in the boat and he began to address the crowd again And when he finished, he looked at Peter and he said, Peter, I want you to put your net on the other side of your boat and catch some fish. Now, I know this personally. When another fisherman tells me to do something, (laughs) come on, I know how to fish, all right? And I'm sure Peter had in his back of his mind, this guy is an idiot. I just fished all night, and I caught nothing. But he didn't realize who was telling him to put the net on the other side. He didn't realize yet who was in his boat. So he did what the guys told him to do. He had a good message, eh? I'll try it. Throws the net out, and what happens? He catches so many fish that it begins to break and he has to call James and John to bring their boat out so they can get the net in. It had so many fish. Woo! You know what that tells me? When I go fishing, I want Jesus to go with me. That's what I'm saying, right? In Luke 5, beginning with verse 10, 
and I have this behind me, from the NLT, it's, here Jesus is calling these three men into a brand new trade, becoming fishers of men. Hallelujah. It says his partners, and meaning Peter's partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. How many know God is in the people business? Hallelujah. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. I just have one question. What'd they do with a fish? Really? Now, there was a whole crowd there. Maybe they said, hey, free fish, free fish, get your free fish. I don't know what, anyhow, that's probably not important. What is important to take away from this is people are important to God. Whatever Jesus did, it must have impressed these three, for they gave up their fishing business and they followed Jesus to become fishers of men. Now we know a bit more about John than we do about James simply because John has a book written about himself. And how many know there is a book of James? But it's a different James, okay? So this is James, the son of Zebedee, okay? And he was an apostle, as we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, As we read the Bible, we're given a glimpse of John and James' personalities. How many know that When you really watch these two in the Scripture, you don't come away going, oh, that must be the one Jesus loves. There's no reason to come to that conclusion, and I'll get to why in just a minute. But we can conclude that John and his older brother were very close. Whenever one is mentioned, the other one is always nearby. From what the Bible says about them, we can conclude that both were bold, both were scrappers, And both were passionate, passionate about following Jesus, their Lord and their Savior. How many have an older brother or a younger brother? Not all of you. Some of you are just lifting your hand at work and just barely. I had three brothers, one older, two younger. And the one older, I I worshipped him as a boy. He, He was my hero. And I did anything he wanted me to do including the one day I mean sometimes you do dangerous things when you hang out with your brothers and my older brother you know he's wise (sighs) takes his little brother out to the junkyard where the train comes through and these knuckleheads had a rope that was about that big around tied to a big tree, and they'd swing out when the, when the trains came through, and they'd swing out and go over the cars. Yeah, that's what I said. Now, if you misjudged, and the train was usually doing about 30 right there, I can't imagine what would happen. <laughs> you ever have a bug hit your windshield? It's about what it'd be like. And my brother took me out there. His little brother, impressionable, yeah. I wanted to do it too, but I wasn't strong enough. So I watched those idiots do it. I still loved him. I I thought he was amazing. I had two little brothers. 
and they worship me. They put me on a pedestal because I was three or four years older than them. What am I saying this for? James was John's older brother. And I'm guessing James probably put him up to a few things. But most of the time it was just because they were brothers. That's just stuff you do. You, you get in trouble with your brothers most of the time. Right, Cameron? Right. You had three other brothers. You know exactly what I'm talking about. John and James were a lot like my brothers and me. They often got into trouble as their nickname that Jesus gave them suggests. Anybody remember their nickname? Sons of Thunder. Sons of Thunder. It's, it kind of reminds me of one of the WWF. <laughs> Introducing Sons of Thunder! I don't know if Jesus introduced them like that or not. Probably not. But this term is actually from the Aramaic word boanerges. I think I'm saying it right. Boanerges. Which means, and I love this literally, sons of commotion. That's what Jesus was calling them. Welcome the sons of commotion. How would you like that, huh? In English, sons of thunder. In Aramaic, sons of commotion. In Luke 9, 51 to 57, we might find where Jesus actually called them this name. It doesn't tell us where he actually called them this, but this might show us why. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. In other words, he wasn't really geeked about this, but he knew he had something to do. What was he about to do? Go to the cross. All right? So he was resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. Now, what do you think was happening here? Have you experienced any kind of racial tension ever? You ever seen it? Just watch the news, right? You see, the Jews and the Samaritans were not buds. Even in Jesus' time, in fact, probably more so in Jesus' time, there were all these parties that hated each other, despised each other. And when the Samaritans heard Jesus was going to Jerusalem, which of course is the Jewish capital, they were not all that excited about welcoming this man into their village. Verse 54, when James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? <laughs> wow. Jesus turned to them and he rebuked them. Some manuscripts suggest that what Jesus said was to these two brothers was, you don't know what your hearts are like. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy people's lives, but to save them. People are important to God. You see, even though Jesus was a Jew, He still loved the Samaritan. Even though they refused to let Him come through their village, He still loved them. 
we can learn from this. Doesn't matter what people think of you. Oh, they said something horrible about me. You still need to love them. In fact, more so. They need your love more than anybody. I think if we practiced this a little more today, we would have a little less conflict going on in this country. So here are the two learned a valuable lesson. Jesus didn't call us to destroy people, but to help lead them to salvation. How many know that's what we're called to do? To carry out our Father's will. Jesus' Father is our Father. We are here to carry out our Father's will, which is to lead people to salvation. To lead them to Jesus Christ. Another commotion that followed these two brothers was mentioned in the book of Mark. And here, the two asked Jesus a question that again led to them being reprimanded. Can you imagine that? The sons of commotion. Apparently, they hadn't learned the old adage, think before you speak. My dad taught me that many years ago. I never really paid much attention to it until I was older. But Therefore, I found myself getting into a lot of commotion. Mark 10, 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him, to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. (laughs) What is your request? He asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in the places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. I think it's a logical thing to ask, right? They're in the inner circle, maybe kind of bumping Peter out a little bit, but it's all right, you know. Hey, Jesus, how about you put us right and left? I think that'd be, we're already hanging out with you here. Well, you see, they didn't understand what his kingdom really meant. They didn't understand what Jesus was about to do. If they had, they might have changed their whole attitude here. They thought they understood, but they really didn't. Neither one could have understood what Jesus was about to have to go through in order to set up his kingdom. We conclude this by Jesus' response in the next verse, 38. I didn't have that up there, sorry. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with a baptism of suffering? I must be baptized with. Again, Jesus is talking about the cross. But they didn't get it. They thought he was, they still thought he was going to come in with his army and take over on earth not realizing he was going to have to die in order to save. Again, these two brothers, super stoked to be followers of the Messiah, but no clue as to what would be expected of them. Verse 39, oh yes, they said, we're able. (laughs) How many of us are like that? Jesus throws something in front of, hey, I want you to go do this. Oh yes, without counting the cost without realizing your life might be required. Do you think when a missionary signs up 
to go overseas to minister to some tribal group in the Congo? Do you think in the back of their mind they're thinking they could kill me? Probably not. But once they get there, they may very well have to do that. And Jesus said, you lose your life if you try to save it. But if you give your life to Him, you'll actually save it. Let us be used by the Master. Amen? These two brothers, I believe their heart was in the right place. But they're human just like you and me. That's why I love these two guys. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the one he has chosen. The ones, I'm sorry. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John asked, they were indignant. They were angry. They were upset that these two yahoos, in fact, in a modern context, what they're probably saying is, really, you two guys are a real piece of work. Sons of commotion. You're living up to your name, boys. But you know what? My guess is they all wanted to ask Jesus that. They just didn't have the courage to do so. If we can gather anything from James and John's behavior, it's this. And I love this. Jesus doesn't expect his followers to be perfect. Can you read that with me? Jesus doesn't expect his followers to be perfect. We are saved by grace, not by our works. (laughs) I'm so glad. Because you know what? I have days, I have weeks, I have months, sometimes I have years, that I'm a mess. You may not see that side of me. I hide it pretty well. But I have my own moments, just like many of you. I have my valleys, I have my hills. Certainly I have my hills. I love, how many like being on top? It's a blast when you're on top of the mountain. But we also have those valleys. And God takes us there on purpose because we grow more in the valleys than we do on the mountaintops. The more he stretches you, the stronger you're going to be. But sometimes it takes you having to go through some very difficult times. And don't deny those and say, no, Lord, no, don't make me go through there. No, just buck up and say, look, Lord, whatever you have for me, by your grace and your mercy, give me the strength to be able to get to the other side. And this goes back to what Jesus said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. He'll be right there with you all the way through. You're never alone. And that's his promise. Amen? Praise Jesus that we don't have to be perfect in order to serve him. We just need to realize that people, including you, people are important to him. That's why he came. To conclude with these two brothers, James and John, both in the inner circle, they would have witnessed the Lord's suffering when Jesus spent the night praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember that? The Bible says what? That he actually sweat blood. 
He was in such agony about what was to come. I can't imagine. I don't even want to try to put myself there. Because he knew what was going to have to happen in order for him to become the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knew that all of our sins were going to be heaped on him. They also would have watched Jesus being arrested to being carried off. And again, this is where I think in their minds they would have thought, I thought he was going to lead. What happened? Where's he going? Is he going to smite him? Is he going to... And he didn't. He just went, okay, let's go. And he, he went with them peacefully. And you know what happened. They beat him, tortured him cast lots for his clothes, humiliated him. All the things that happen to Christians today. And finally, they hung him on that cross where he gave his last breath. Father, not my will, but yours be done. It is finished. Woo! Yeah! These two would have experienced all of this. In fact, we know that John was given the responsibility of watching Jesus' mother. Perhaps because he was one of them that was going to actually live the longest, as we know from history. All right? Very well could have been. They also watched him ascend into heaven. And we know that they continued serving Jesus because in Acts chapter 12, verse 2, King Herod actually took James' life. He was the first apostle to lose his life for his faith. Did you know that? Acts 12, 2. And of course, John, he had a little different story. According to Tertullian, say that three times fast, who lived about 155 to 240 A.D., he was an early Christian theologian, and he wrote that when John was taken into the Colosseum, and what they intended to do was boil him in oil for the amusement of the crowd, simply for being a follower of Jesus Christ. However, he wasn't finished. God had a plan, something else for John to do, and we all know what that was. We'll get to that in a minute. But in the meantime, they throw him into this oil, and guess what happens? Nothing. I don't know if they dunked him a few times. Throw somebody else in there to see if it's really working. Ah! That's not in the Bible, but. What do you do with a disciple who you can't kill? You banish him to an island. Now here's the thing, and, and this is in history books, okay? Tertullian wrote this. The people that watched this experience, commotion, the people that saw John get dipped and not die, he said they all gave their lives to Christ that day. 
That's not in the Bible, that's in history books, okay? Are you, are you with me? So we don't want to make a doctrine out of this, but this is what they said. Now, we do catch up with the apostle. I said they, you banish him to an island, of course. In Revelation 1.9, it actually says this, I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. That's where he ended up. And guess what? He ended up writing the book of Revelation while he was there. God was not finished. History says that he lived to be 90-ish. Some claim he just went to heaven. We don't know. We don't know what happened to John, specifically. Now I want to shift to the other two brothers. Perhaps not as close as the first two. This story is about two brothers as it was told by Jesus in a parable. And it's known as the parable of the lost son. How many of you are familiar with this? I'm not putting this up behind me. I have a few other scriptures I'm going to share as we go through it. If you have your own swords, you can look it up there. When Jesus told this story, he was trying to get the religious leaders to understand there is value only in people. The value isn't in what you own. It isn't in what you do for me or for God. The value is in, say it, people. God values people. Before I read this, I wanted to just share this little tidbit, and you probably already know this, but just in case you don't. In John 12, verse 49 and 50, it says, I don't speak, Jesus said this, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it, and I know his commands lead to eternal life, so I say whatever the Father tells me to say. Are you with me? So whatever Jesus said, it was from whom? Our Heavenly Father, all right? He also said in chapter 14, verse 10, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does His work through me. So whatever Jesus said, it related to our Father in heaven. You got that part? So with that in mind, Luke 15 makes it clear that even though people are sinners, poke your neighbor and say, you're a sinner. We're, we might be saved by the blood, but we are still sinners. Amen? Our loving Heavenly Father, even though we're sinners, still loves, and I think I can say this confidently, adores you and me. I don't get it, but He does. Now that's some amazingly good news, if you ask me. Begin reading in Luke 15, 11 to 32, and just listen. To illustrate the point further, that people are important to God, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now, before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And you've You've probably heard this before, but by asking for his inheritance while his father was still alive, he was basically saying what? You're dead to me. All right? 
Not a, if, if Troy came to me and said, Dad, I want everything you've got now, he wouldn't do that. But if he did, it would be like him saying, you're dead to me, old man. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. How many know God has a plan even when we're in our sinful state? He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. That's why I put that there. That's your job. Feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. As one person put it, these pods were carob pods from the carob tree. And they're about 12 inches long. And I've seen them in Florida. They're, they're flat and they're long. And they have usually anywhere from 10 to 13 little flat seeds, hard seeds inside of it. And it was known as the farmer's flower because they would take these seeds and they'd crush them up and they'd make kind of like a, a sweet, flowery paste with it and whatever they did with it, they would eat it somehow. But there's also another word for this, this pod and that is it's known as a substitute. And I like what one person said. They said, substitute is fitting for it was what the younger son did in this parable. He substituted his life as a valued son for a short life of flagrant living followed by feeding pigs. That's what he did. He gave it all up so that he could go squander it on what he thought was an exciting lifestyle. How many of us have done that? Or are doing that? And I would say, be like the prodigal. Come back. Verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. Here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm, now, I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. This is the act of repentance, what you're witnessing right here. That means that, that you are sincerely sorry. You're broken about it. Lord, I have fallen short of your glory. Forgive me. I've been stupid. Forgive me. I've lived my own life wrongly. Forgive me. That's what it means to repent. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned to his father. And this is the, the beauty of this story right here. Don't miss this. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Whew! That's right. We can get excited about that. Filled with love and compassion he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Jesus 
is talking about your heavenly Father. He's trying to show us something here. You are important to Him. Even though you've messed up, you've gone the wrong way, you've taken your own turn, come back. Come back to Him. Come back. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. What he's doing here is he's throwing himself at the mercy of his father. And that's what we need to do. We need to throw ourselves at the mercy of God and say, Father, I can't even say anymore. But his father said, catch this, His father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf. We've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. What party is that? Luke 15, 7 says in the same way in Jesus, Jesus talking, there is more joy in the heaven, in heaven, over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed. Verse 10, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? When you come to Him, when you repent of your sins, As a wayward son, you're only condemned if you don't come back. I think that somebody here needs to hear this today. Now the other son. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. We could call this guy the religious son, okay? When he returned home, he heard the music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother's back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. Isn't that great news? You would think, right? The older brother was angry. In fact, he was throwing a temper tantrum. Bible says he wouldn't even go in. His father had to come out to him and he begged him to come in, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you've told me. And in all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. He's calling dad out. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus spoke to the people and he said, Friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work, didn't you agree to work all day for your usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So there are scriptures that talk about this very thing. 
This brother was angry because he'd stuck to it. He'd worked for his father. He didn't run off and spend all dad's money or his inheritance. But Jesus is saying, you know what? It doesn't matter. It's up to God what he does. If he wants to reward him again, that's his business. What he's excited about is this son who is dead is now alive. That's what's important. People are important. Not how hard you worked out in the fields. Not the fact that you didn't take what was already yours. You could have had that. You just never took, care, took advantage of it. And how many of us are like that today? We have everything that Jesus has given us. His authority in heaven is on earth. And what are we doing with it? Hmm. I don't know. His father said to him, look, dear son, he's still trying to get him to see. You have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And I just add to that, God loves people. God loves all people. We've got to get this. Two sets of brothers, John and James, who loved each other and served the Lord unto death, believing Jesus was the King of kings and Lord of lords. The last two, one representing the prodigal son, who lavishly spent his inheritance on his sinful lifestyle, only to recognize his wicked ways and choosing to return to his father's estate, throwing himself on his dad's mercy. The other, the older brother, representing most probably a religious, cold-hearted person. Don't be that one. He did not recognize he already had everything. He only needed to take hold of it. The question that is often posed to me is this. Out of those two, which one was faithful? The younger or the older? You see, you can spend your life for God and still be unfaithful. Still be in rebellion. I'll close with a scripture. Isaiah 55. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. What does that say to us? It's none of our business what God does, how he does it. How people get saved, who gets saved, when they get saved. The hope is they will get saved. And we'll help them get there. Because people are important to him. And if all the angels throw a party every time somebody comes to Christ, somebody says, Father, forgive me, I have sinned against you and against my brethren. If they throw a party, how much more so should we be excited here? Would you stand with me? I believe what Jesus was trying to say through these two brothers, or was saying through these two brothers, and this loving dad, was this. As long as you find your way back to me, to God, your heavenly Father, he will always be ready and willing to forgive you and to call you his son 
or his daughter. The bottom line is God wants us to be with him forever. Forever. This life is, is but a sprinkling of time in the sense of a, a big hourglass dropping sand. It's just a few grains of sand in, in relation to eternal life. Where we're going to be with him forever and ever and ever. No more sin, no more death, no more tears, no more suffering or pain. But you have to come to him. It's the only requirement. You have to repent of your sins, ask God to forgive you, and turn back to the Lord. Begin doing things his way, what the Bible tells you to do. And I really felt like somebody needed to hear this story today. Maybe it's you. Are you the prodigal son? Are you the prodigal daughter that has been out there doing your own thing? Maybe you knew God once. You were serving Him, following after Him, doing what He required of you, only to turn away again. I don't know why. Maybe all of a sudden that lifestyle looked better. Sin is sin. It will destroy you. Today is your day, son, daughter. This is what I saw when I was praying. The Father is watching, waiting, expecting you to come back to Him. He's looking for you and He's saying, come home to me. Make your peace with me today. Don't wait. You don't know how much longer you have. Only I know that. Don't wait. Come home. That's what I felt he shared with me. And he's, he's scanning this room right now. If you're online, he's scanning online. He sees you by the side of your couch. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I think I might be that prodigal. And I recognize today that, like that son, I've squandered what I've had. I've not been living for the Lord. And I want to come back to him today. I want you to pray with me. If that's you, would you just lift your hand up real, real quick? Just so I see it. You can put them down. Thank you. Others? Anybody else? Hallelujah. I want everybody to pray with me, and if you just raised your hand and you meant business, I want you to pray this like Jesus, your big brother is standing right in front of you right now because he is. I believe that. Where two or more are gathered, he's here. Would you all pray this with me as a family? Heavenly Father, like the prodigal, I've run away from you. I put other things first. But today, I want to change. I want to change for you. I want to come back. I want to be your son or daughter. In Jesus' name. Lord, forgive me of all my sins, the horrendous things, the wicked things, the evil things that I've done, those that I've hurt, forgive me, Lord.
for hurting you, Lord, for turning my back on you. Forgive me, Lord. I give you my life today. I throw myself at your mercy. Have your way with me. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer and you meant business with God, the angels in heaven are celebrating. And you should be too. We are. Hallelujah. Woo! We do have a little booklet that's available if you'd like to grab hold of it on your way out. It's called The Start of Something Wonderful, The New Life. Uh, one of the ushers will have that in the back. Grab that, take it home. It'll help get your new relationship started right. And then just start reading the, the Bible. Get to a strong church. If you're from this area, we'd love to have you here. If you live somewhere else, we get it. Find a good, solid, gospel-filled church. God's still in the business of changing lives because people are important. May we go out today with that in mind, looking for little brothers and sisters who need Jesus. Father, keep us safe in our coming and our going. Use us, Lord, as only you can. We give you this church, the people of the hope. Bless each one. Keep us safe. Bless my granddaughter as she goes to school this week. <laughs> In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Have a great week. Love you.